You're listening to Akio Politics, a Harry Potter reread podcast focusing on politics in the wizarding world. As always, I'm Adri, one of your hosts and a recovering English major. And I'm Helene, your co-host and producer. And today we're going to be talking about chapter 25, titled Shell Cottage of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. But before we get there, Helene, how are you? I think the better question is, how are you? How are you doing? I know that uh, you went through some some crap recently. <laughs> I um, I was feeling a little left out um, with the uh, the rest of the world uh, had not gotten COVID yet, but now I can finally say COVID has visited my home and lodged itself in my chest. And I yeah. um, had to take some Paxlovid for that to try to evict the, the unwanted guest. Um, I am on the mend. My voice, as you said earlier, has dropped several octaves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, you know, yeah, making the best of my sultry, sultry voice. Um, all jokes aside, uh, the... The scariest part was that actually Olivia, my daughter, tested positive first, and she had like fever and congestion and all that, and like having a 10-month-old baby sick with COVID, um, super nerve-wracking. Um, totally. Thankfully, she was vac- fully vaccinated by the time she got it, right, because we got her the vaccine as soon as she was eligible for it. So yeah. it was a, you know, mild version of COVID or like, you know, the flu. Um, she was done in about three or four days. Um, it did not take just three or four days with me, listeners. It is still ongoing. <laughs> I'm glad that she recovered really quickly. At least that takes a little bit of like that anxiety off of your plate while you have like to physically fight like it out of your own body you know what I mean yeah no so um I think it was maybe the night I tested positive because I did you know go like a month it was like a Monday night where I tested positive Monday morning when I tested positive so Monday night I couldn't sleep because I was having like not just panic attacks but like congestion and my chest hurt and like all the COVID symptoms and I was like, I need Paxlovid. <laughs> like, and I'm like visiting my mom. So like my parents. So, I, you know, we went to the doctor the next morning. Um, and thankfully my insurance covers um, the stuff I get at Walgreens no matter where I am. So that was really yeah. nice. That is nice. Man. So... Yeah, I was I was like Paxlovid is a miracle drug. How did you I, How did you enjoy that uh, Paxlovid mouth? Fucking hated it. Still hate right. it. Thank you. <laughs> um, wait, are you? Wait, thanks for asking. You're, you're not still on it, right? It's only five days. Oh no, I'm done with Paxlovid. Oh, okay. But but okay. fun fact, fun fact, I can still smell it on the milk that I am pumping. Oh no. <laughs> well. That's, Shout out to Liv- all new moms out there. That's um, Libby's problem now. <laughs> no, I can't, I actually can't feed it to her. 
for oh, at really? least a week after I'm done. Yeah. Mm. Wow, well, you didn't learn something new every day. That, that, the first yeah. thing I did was like, like Google, can you take back fluid while breast pumping? You know, like, you know, I was like, yeah. what is happening? What's going to happen to my breast milk? Because I need to know. Not because I'm not going to take it, but like, do I have Did to you... like stop? You know. So basically, I have to pump yeah. and dump everything. Um, That's so annoying. And and is she on I formula like, right now? Yeah, she's on formula, like fully, just full formula right now. Um, so I was like, I wonder why it's, it says like at least a week. And then, like, I think it was like two days ago where I started. I was like, wow, this milk is rank as shit like oh it smells disgusting <laughs> and I was like oh, it's the Paxlovid smell <laughs> like that like like bitter yeah. gross trash smell and I was like oh my god that's why you can't give it to a baby <laughs> yeah it's probably yeah, it's, disgusting too honestly yeah Paxlovid I mean I'm sure it did help me in the long run, but like it didn't fucking miracle my, drug. I'm not gonna. Yeah, well, I'm I not mean, gonna it didn't. LA. It didn't actually lessen my symptoms, and it didn't like short like make it like cut it short or anything. It was just like I had it the full like run of the course of the of what I was gonna have, but like um, it it tasted awful for five days straight, and I lost my appetite for another four days after I even got off of it. I like did not eat for most like almost five full days like and yeah that was all Paxlovid so I'm still I'm still on that appetite thing like yeah the same exact thing happened to my dad too yeah he he also lost his appetite for a few days after he got off um today my mom and I were like super like nauseous and queasy and we're like we're just gonna have to eat because I think it's just that thing of like we're so nauseous and queasy because we haven't eaten and then we're you know, yeah. we don't have an appetite because we're nauseous and like it's just Yeah, you gotta force yourself to have something in your stomach. Especially like if and if you're not eating, you have to drink like lots of liquid. Or else yeah, you're gonna so... get dehydrated and die. Yeah, we <laughs> Well you're not gonna die, I... but you'll probably have to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, no, I had like soup and stuff. Like that's what I've been drinking. It's been helping settle my stomach. But like yeah. it's just also, COVID made me super nauseous and, like, not just Paxlovid, like, COVID before I started the Paxlovid, I was yeah. already nauseous. So I was like, guys, I just got done with pregnancy. Like, <laughs> legit. Also, I mean, speaking of pregnancy announcements, like, Rihanna, Riri, what are you doing? Like, love you, girl. I support you. I'm a woman who supports other women. But, like, you just gave birth, like, in May of last year. Yeah, Why she's would you do this pumping them out fast. She's pumping them out real fast. Like what? Like I think she, I think she got pregnant three months after she gave birth. Like that is so quick. Helene, there are some, like, there are I, some women out there. Though there are some women out there who love being pregnant. It's weird, but like, I, I, I know that they exist. I, I know. I gave birth in like, I mean, gave birth is like a laughable term because I was carved open like a turkey. But um, <laughs> in April, and I'm like. I can't even ever think about doing it again. And here she is just pumping yep. him out. I'm like, I want to support you, Riri. I just, are you okay pulling twice, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's super fertile, I guess. 
Um, and good for her. If this is yeah. definitely her choice, good for her. I'm just saying, like, as a person who's nauseous because of COVID, I'm like, I couldn't do it. Couldn't be me. Yeah, some people have great pregnancies. I don't. I, I can't imagine. So I no. hear. So I hear. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. I mean, you know, that's it. That's it. Okay, we're, we're good. Yeah, like, you know, family's doing fine. Life's the same. I didn't have COVID recently. <laughs> Humble brag. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of nice not having COVID. Gotta, gotta say. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, nothing nothing super exciting with me. But I do want to discuss this chapter because this one is a doozy. Um, could you please let us know what, what happened in this here chapter? Oof. Okay. So. This is the one where the trio spent a few days arguing over whether Harry made the right decision not to go after the Elder Wand, and in the meantime, Griphook has made it his decision on whether or not to help them break into Gringotts. He demands the Sword of Gryffindor in return as payment, and the trio decide to be a little less than honest when they promise it to him, by staying deliberately vague on the timeline in which they plan to follow through. After re- weeks of planning their break-in, Lupin stops by the cottage to announce the birth of his son and ask Harry to be the godfather. Finally, Bill takes Harry aside and warns him about the dangers of reneging on a promise to a goblin, especially when it has to do with something that they believe to be rightfully theirs. Whew. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this... This uh, chapter was ripe for politic choices. I went through a few different options before landing on what I decided to go with. So, Well, if you don't mind, I want to go first because I feel yeah. like, and I know from looking at the talk and our text conversations, that mine is a little bit more granular than than yours in a way. Um, but it's con- connected, connected. Um, okay. So... After, you know, reading this chapter, I was like, this is the politics of history class or, you know, what we put in our curriculums, really. Curriculum. And um, to people who are not in the United States or may be in the United States and not aware of it, did you know that there are no national history or civic standards in the United States? There are no standards? As to which, uh, as like what you need to include in your curriculum, no standards. Correct. No standards. How do no national standards? That I just don't understand how the education system would function. Then, well, um, that's the answer. It doesn't. Like it just doesn't (laughs) function, Helene. Like I mean, I had history classes. I just, I guess, I just assumed that they had standards as to what they needed to include. They do, but at the state level, there are no, like, national overarching standards. Like, there's no, like, say, federal, let's say, standard that says you must include this in your history classes. Yeah, I mean, that tracks. Yeah. So, each state in the United States develop its uh, its own 50 different sets of criteria for what students should learn in social studies. These guidelines are usually developed by committees of educators, curriculum specialists at the State Department of Education, academics, and community members. States update 
them periodically, generally every seven to 10 years through a revision process. State boards of education, which vote to adopt or not adopt revisions, are the final decision makers. Wow. So it's like have- when you're just, de- if you're deciding to like have a family, I never really thought about this, but if you're ever deciding to have a family and you're trying to figure out where you should live, like it's, pro- this is probably something that people should be considering then. And also every seven to 10 years, you may have to move Helene, if that's what you're doing. Yeah, that's true. Stupid. <laughs> The United States sucks. Sorry, guys. So I doubt we have any nationalists listening to our podcast. So, but so that's really only heresy <laughs> to a nationalist. But like, seriously. So, in this chapter, um, you know, obviously that made me think of this. You know, this chapter made me think of this situation, right, with like curriculum and history class, right, because of the way that wizards. Mm-hmm, view mm-hmm. the goblins and they talk about the goblins and kind of frame it in a way of like mm-hmm. it's not that we're bad see it's that they're just different you know so yay yeah okay so yeah obviously mine is pretty similar are we ready to move on to mine yes go ahead okay yeah mine is um in the same realm uh Like I said, I did go through a couple of different possibilities. Um, One that I just want to call out because I don't think it's going to come up again, but I think it's just like it deserves a little shout out is I was thinking about doing the politics of ownership because there's this whole like part in the chapter where they talk about how goblins view Mm -hmm. ownership Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. um, goblins specifically view anything that is made by them as belonging to them and like loaned out to the person who purchases it. And then if that person who purchased it, like passes it on to a different wizard or witch, um, rather than returning it after they've died or stopped using it, then that, then they view that as theft. I just thought Mm -hmm. that was really interesting. Like, I don't know if they were going for like a metaphor or whatever. It was just, I I thought about doing that. We're not, that's not what I chose, but. That was one of the contenders. However, what I decided to go with, and I still couldn't even choose between two different ones, so I have a combo. Mine is a combo uh, politic this chapter. It is whitewashing and historical revisionism. I'm sure that you guys have all heard both of those terms in some aspect in in your lives. Uh, so I'll just recap what they mean so that we're all on the same page. Uh, whitewashing means to intentionally hide some kind of wrongdoing, error, or unpleasant situation, or deal with it in a way that attempts to make it seem less bad than it is. And then historical revisionism consists of revisiting the sources of a historical record for or a period of time with a different perspective or new data that could alter how we see it. Um. And these, I think, both very, very acutely describe the happenings of <laughs> this chapter, in particular, a specific conversation between the trio and Grapuk, um regarding the Sword of Gryffindor. <laughs> uh, but okay. 
uh, yeah, basically, we're, we find out that the chap, like, in the chapter they expose, very, very, like, surprisingly, honestly, that, um, well, I guess not surprisingly, but, like, I didn't remember this, that wizards are most likely just being taught a completely different version of historical events that are just more easily digestible for them. Uh, yeah, because we don't want the wizards to feel bad about themselves, do we? Exactly. Does this sound familiar at all? Hmm. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, um, I don't know. It just sounds like it's like, oh, it's something about it just sounds so I can't put my finger on it, Adri. Oh, wait. Well, and also, is it <laughs> is it maybe like where you erase the contributions of certain sectors of society and make it seem like the wizards only did everything? Is, is that what we're going with? Yeah, but then it's also like, you know. You know, changing history to make a specific race or group, you group. know, group look better, or even just or like feel, the savior, right? Yeah, or just even feel better about themselves. Um, <laughs> I mean, listeners, if you haven't caught on, I am obviously referring to the debate around critical race theory in this country right now, happening in this very moment. Um, so obviously these types of systems that I explained about the whitewashing, about how historical events, um, are changed and being taught to children to make things more easily digestible for them, um, and make them feel better about themselves. That's whitewashing. So these types of systems are in place to protect the feelings and egos of the people who benefit from the white and or wizarding supremacy. And um, are the main reason why critical race theory is such a hotly debated issue in today's political climate? <sighs> Gorgeous, lovely, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Didn't think that we would get critical race theory, like, in Harry Potter, to be honest. I did not oh, really? expect that. No, I just, I forgot <laughs> oh, that, I forgot this happened. <laughs> I forgot okay, that this no. happened. Like, I forgot that they talked about the type of history that they were teaching in schools because history of magic is something that they completely, like, gloss over in the high entire series. Like, we never really, like, talk about history of magic class very much. It's, like, in passing, you know? Well, I mean, it is taught by a ghost, so. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I think the only time they really ever talk about it is, like, when they have to study for their OWLs or something, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's not a topic of conversation in this series. So, <laughs> Well, if you don't mind, uh, let's get into our quotes uh, for the chapter. So yeah. for um, the politics of curriculum or, you know, history class, I, I chose this following quote. We are talking about a different breed of being, said Bill. Dealings between wizards and goblins have been fraught for centuries. But you'll know that from history of magic. There has been fault on both sides. I would never claim that wizards have been innocent. However, there is a belief among some goblins, and those at Gringotts are perhaps most prone to it, that wizards cannot be trusted in matters of gold and treasure, that they have no respect for goblin ownership. I respect Harry began, but shook his head. You don't understand, Harry. 
Nobody could understand unless they have lived with goblins. To a goblin, the rightful and true master of any object is the maker, not the purchaser. All goblin-made objects are, in goblin eyes, rightfully theirs. This would have been a good quote for the ownership thing I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, I chose this quote because it shows a a lot of different levels to um, the politic, right? So, we have, on the one hand, you know, Bill, who we think as, like, progressive and, like, Mm open-minded, saying, like, hey, look, here's the deal, like, you think things are this way, but I know from like working with them and being in close proximity to them that they think this way. And on the surface, you might say, well, you know, Bill is being like a quote, good guy, but he's not like saying on the other hand, like, well, humans or wizards think of ownership this way and goblins think of ownership this other way. I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. There is a cultural difference, right? Like he is saying like, there's us versus them. He is very much othering them. Exactly. So instead, because if goblins were the people in power or like the beings in power, the creatures in power, then wizard ownership like wouldn't be the prevalent way of owning, right? Like, Everything is based on who has the power to like put down the modes of thinking or the or the ways that that society lives, right? So, in a way, and I I want to be like super sensitive to this, right? Like, like the the wizards are not, you know, specifically Bill in this instance is not being like sensitive to like any cultural difference that there is, other than saying like, well, you and I are good people and we're right because this is how ownership works and we know that but goblins they think another way because they're different creatures yeah it's not like he's trying to like like validate the way that goblins think of ownership correct at all correct yeah because and that's like an insidious way like and that's yeah. like an insidious way in which like you could still think that you're progressive and you could still think that you're like a quote good person but still uphold the systems that that perpetuate like oppression on other groups right. of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's super like intricate kind of. Like it's like a blink and you miss it type of of uh i don't know what's the word oppression that's, well it's, that it's he's all participating in right now yeah so he's it's part of the bias that's baked in right, right. so and, and then there's that mention of like you'll know that from history of magic like we've all learned this in school but also like where do goblins learn their history right like where's their educational right. system like so so like who makes the decisions and like who regulates that and like all of these things that permeate that like one quote is steeped from hey um this conversation could have been had like a completely different way and maybe they could have gotten to the same conclusion right which is like let's trick let's trick grip hook right but not like let's 
trick him because he doesn't understand ownership in the same way humans do. Yeah. I think Which by is this like point a, in this like chapter, a, they had already decided to trick him, though. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's like, but it's like, it's, it's, it's context given to being like, that's why it's okay to trick him. Right. But yeah. like. But where I think where I'm trying to get with this is um, a lot of times when we see like a cultural difference, we want to judge from our perspective instead of try to like look at things from other cultures point of view. Right. Yeah. And who is to say like that your culture is right and theirs is wrong or whatever, but that's kind of how that usually goes. So instead of like taking a step back and like thinking like, am I participating in the system of oppression or like all these things, it's like, Oh no, that's what we learned. And that's, that's what you should follow. Right. Right. No, totally. Yeah. But what about and you? I, let's let's go. Let's wait, really quick though, really quick though. One thing I did want to say because I think that, like, obviously in this chapter we are kind of like deep diving a little bit into what the go- goblin culture is and like what their beliefs are about certain things mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And just as like someone who obviously like this affects in terms of like there's that um equivalency that people draw between goblins and jews and people saying that the goblins mm-hmm. are anti-semitic because they perpetuate jewish tropes and all of that stuff i just have to say like as a jew someone who's been a jew my entire life my parents are both members of the clergy i was extremely like raised in a very religious house growing up for 18 years so like i know most most of what there is to know about <laughs> jewish culture and traditions and things like that um this i i don't I don't see a connection in a metaphor here for Jews. Mm -hmm. And so this is the type of thing where like when I first heard that goblins were anti-Semitic, I thought that like I was, I was first, I was completely caught off guard. And I thought that was kind of like a false equivalence. I thought that people who I thought it was like calling them anti-Semitic felt to me like a perpetuation of Jewish tropes because they saw a thing in a fictional work that liked money or handled money and they were like oh that's jewish i'm like isn't Mm -hmm. that in itself like perpetuating a jewish trope by immediately seeing something that has to do with a creature liking money and saying that that has to be anti-semitic like has to be a jewish thing it's like i didn't Mm -hmm. see it that way so people tell it so one thing i gotta say just out there is i don't like when people tell me that I should be enraged about something being anti-Semitic. I think that as a Jew, I should be able to decide for myself if I feel that something is anti-Semitic. And just like things like this, where we're talking about like this idea of ownership and how they handle it and all that stuff. I personally, and I could be missing something, but I personally do not see anything that, that has anything to do with Jewish culture in the way that I know it as like a metaphor like for this this being a metaphor for so i think that it's grasping at straws and it just it just reminds me that like yeah i i I, my instincts were right i i originally did not feel like goblins were a super anti-semitic trope and and there are other things that like 
can be like I don't know matched to it um throughout the series that you could look at a bit like okay yeah that does that does kind of remind me of Jews and like everything but like because I am a Jew and I'm I read everything that has to do with the goblins so that lens because I've been told that I should be enraged about this being anti-semitic and I'm sitting here reading it and I'm like is it though I don't know that's just something to think about honestly okay well, I'm not reading it through that lens necessarily. Right. I always read it through the like, okay, so there are other magical beings in this universe who presumably can do, you know, who like can't, not presumably can actually do magic. There's slightly was different from the wizards, like, the, you know, the humans. Yeah. Um, and like there, these are like groups of, you know, beings that are, kind of oppressed by the system and like so i view it through that lens totally yeah i mean and it i think it makes sense that we would view it through different lenses and i think that that it helps because then it like we get to hear the perspectives of the different lenses too so i think though i i do i will say and this is not this is not a defense on people who say like you should be like mad about the anti-semitism or stuff like that I think where a lot of people get that from is that usually in like lore, like the figure of goblins was used as this anti-Semitic trope. Yeah. So her inclusion of goblins in this raised those flags for a lot of people, those sensitivities. Yes. In in history, goblins in general were seen as that. Um, But they also. No, no, no. But that's what I'm saying. That's where that's where people get that like sensitivity from. Yeah, but then, but yeah, on the flip side, though, they're also just like a fictional magical creature that no, makes I sense understand. to have in this yeah. world. So, yeah, I, yeah, there's just, it's two parts of it. Just, and it's just mainly because most of the people that are telling me that this is anti Semitic and that like I should be mad about it are people who are not Jewish. No, I understand so, that. I'm not saying it's just, yeah. Well, there's, there are things that people are like, you should be mad about that because that's racist. And I'm like, I'm not mad about that. I'm actually more mad about this other thing that you don't right. think is racist. That is actually racist to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I get it. Like, you can't tell me what to be mad at when you have not lived my experience. Exactly. Right. No, I understand that. So, yeah. Um, okay. And with that, on to my quote, which uh, it has three parts because um, it kind of, like, there are multiple times throughout this entire passage that I wanted to reference, but like random non relevant stuff happens like in between them. So I just cut out the irrelevant stuff and I will read the quote and the three parts that are relevant to my uh, politic. Okay. The sword's ours. It is not, said the goblin. We're Gryffindors and it was Godric Gryffindors. And before it was Gryffindors, whose was it? Demanded the goblin sitting up straight. No one's, said Ron. It was made for him, wasn't it? No, cried the goblin, bristling his anger as he pointed a long finger at Ron. Wizarding arrogance again. That sword was Ragnuck the First's, taken from him by Godric Gryffindor. It's a lost treasure, a masterpiece of goblin work. It belongs with the goblins. The sword is the price of my hire. Take it or leave it. And then part two is, is it true, Harry asked Hermione? Was the sword stolen by Gryffindor? I don't know, she says. Hope, she said hopelessly. Wizarding history often skates over what the wizards have done to other magical races, but there is no account that I know of 
that says Gryffindor stole the sword. Of course, you wouldn't know of it. Uh, And part three. The idea that Gryffindor might have stolen the sword was unpleasant to him. He had always been proud to be a Gryffindor. Gryffindor had been the champion of the Muggleborns, the wizard who had clashed with the pureblood-loving Slytherin. Maybe he's lying, Harry said, opening his eyes again. Griphook, maybe Gryffindor didn't take the sword. How do we know the goblin version of history is right? Does that make a difference? Asked Harry, or asked Hermione. Changes how I feel about it, said Harry. Yeah, I mean, kind of every single thing I said before is like so plainly written out in the text. Like Hermione specifically t- saying that wizarding history often skates over what other what the wizards have done to other magical races. Um, a hundred percent historical revisionism, or a hundred percent whitewashing. That's the whitewashing. And then, literally, like the the wizards deciding to teach that the goblins made the sword for Godric Gryffindor, and therefore it is his. And not teaching that the sword was actually a goblin's first and that it was taken by Godric Gryffindor from the goblin would be the historical revisionism. Of course, like Harry says, how do we know the goblin's version is true? I mean, obviously, we don't 100% know for sure as the reader, but I mean, I'm inclined to believe that the version that shows the white wizarding supremacy equivalency here as the oppressor is probably the true version of events. I would err on that side personally. I don't know about you. I mean, my husband was taught in history class that the civil war was fought over states' rights instead of slaves. So like, this is the problem with yeah. like, <laughs> not having a national standard for yeah. history class. Yeah. And then the last part that I read also, like, I think it perfectly shows how much Harry is struggling with, like, cu- the, this new version of events coming to light and realizing, like, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Talk about an antihero. I mean, <laughs> so it was just very uh, kind of mind blowing reading this chapter again through this lens. So, well, I mean, and if I may, like, let's let's we can we can move back to like the character pretty soon. But like in in the grand scheme of things of the of the entire series, like we see this time and time again of like the main characters obviously are wizards and like the plight of the wizard is the most important plight. Right. So, and everything is done in service of the wizard and everything is taught in service of the wizard. But like, do we get any other like backstory on like other magical beings? Not really. Where do mermaids or mer people like, learn whatever they learn what do they actually do helene we don't even know like you know like what what do other magical de- beings like do other than like 
be house elves and like goblins at Gringotts or yeah, you know I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't until you called out earlier in the chapter like oh where do goblins learn their version of history it's like I hadn't really thought about it but like Hogwarts is literally specifically called the school like Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry and like, it's like they metal forging and gold <laughs> like yeah so like if if a goblin wanted to go to Hogwarts like he would be discriminated against and i think a big part of that is and uh, like a huge core of the problem especially between go- like the goblin and wizard relations is that goblins are not allowed to have wands and why like, who are is, they worried that the, they will become allowing? too dangerous yeah like who, like are they worried the that they're going to like try and like overcome with like overtake wizarding kind if they have too much power is it because wizards did that first you know what i mean like right like they don't want to give power more power to people who might have hold grudges against them so they're like well you know i i I don't kind of like at this point i'm surprised goblins haven't tried to make their own ones they work in in like creating things right like Mm mm-hmm you know, I'm surprised they haven't even tried that yet. Maybe they will. Maybe I mean, there will be another maybe goblin uprising. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they have. So so there's like, you know, there are other magical beings of like, so where do they go to school? Like where do right. they learn their trade or their craft? Or like yeah. oh, are they even allowed to have schools? Like all these like little details that we have no idea about. Right. Um exactly. but but sure, let's keep talking about how like in Brazil there's like another like fucking witchcraft and wizardry school whatever i'm just gonna calm down because i get upset <laughs> about these things. i mean that this this chapter is really enraging and it sucks because it's like it makes all of our like main characters our heroes that we love look like awful shitty racists like it does not make us feel good about our favorite characters here like <laughs> surprise we're all the problem <laughs> I mean, right yeah uh, and I don't think that that's what the the author intended. I don't care about what the author intended. The author couldn't yeah. intend thousand things, but you know. Yeah. No. It's. Yeah. It's kind of just mind blowing. <laughs> All right. Let's go back. Like, let's. We already talked about how kind of we see the politics in the series, but let's talk about our our characters. Um, for me, Bill was the character that I chose yeah. to show this politic because of the reasons that I had already discussed being that, you know, we tend to think of Bill as like this progressive, like cool person. And then we're like, Oh wait, but the way he talked about it was very indoctrinated in the way of like, you know, there's, you know, we're in the right and they're in the wrong. Yeah. I have to warn you about goblins. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Bill has some uh, explaining to do. <laughs> um, well, he has some unconscious bias, as we do all. Yes, yes, for sure. My character was Harry because, especially like as shown in part three of my quote, like he is the one that seems to be struggling the most with kind of learning that he's the problem, um, that wizards are the problem. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, struggling with, oh, I, I thought I was... I thought Godric Gryffindor was a good person and like learning that Godric Gryffindor might, might be nice to muggles, but not a good guy towards goblins. Like it's causing him a lot of cognitive dissonance. 
Well, they say never meet your heroes, right? Right. Yeah. Yep, yep. Honestly, we're all a little bit problematic. It's just that some of us are a little bit more than others. It's like you're making me think of – have you ever seen or listened to the soundtrack of Avenue Q? Oh, of course. Love Avenue Q. So there's a song – Obviously, you will know this, but listeners might not know this. There's a song in that musical called Everyone's a Little Bit Racist. There's a little bit racist, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what it, that song was making me think of that song. <laughs> If you guys are interested to learn more about what I am talking about, just go look it up. It's, just listen to it. I can't explain it. It's, I don't even want to try great. to explain it. Yeah. I think it's an experience that everyone must go through. Yeah, for sure. And you know what else is an experience? Feeling the chill of a Dementor. And so it's time for our Dementors in Chocolate segment. Where yes. we, talked about, we talk about what we hated and we liked in the chapter. Helene... This fine evening that we are recording, what was your Dementor in Chapter 25? Yeah, um, so I mean, I already kind of said that, like, no one is excused from the racism in this chapter, really. Like, all of our main characters are, are dealing, are showing some problematic things. However, I have to call out one in particular, and you will not be surprised, listeners, which one it is. Um, Ron particularly was being a pretty little racist little shit in this chapter of all the people. Um, and I think that that's like, I think that was intentional because like he was raised in a like pure blood wizarding family. He had no, um, not saying that like the Weasleys were teaching him bad things, but like he had no exposure to like any other type of world or lifestyle growing up. Um, which is why he was like so weird about the house elves and it's he's very sheltered so like i get it to a point but it's like dude you gotta just like grow and be better because specifically the this quote that i pulled it says it'll be one of those goblin stories said ron about how wizards are always trying to get one over on them i suppose we should consider we should think ourselves lucky that he hasn't asked for one of our wands like he's worse than bill in this moment and i think that's because bill actually has interacted with goblins on a very like a lot and he has friends who are goblins and coworkers and colleagues but it's kind of um, in the same vein though you know yeah. what i mean like yeah, the, but like what Ron said, like what Ron says is super crass, but it's uh -huh. in the same vein as what like Bill was trying to say a little bit more like yeah, Ron's is yeah, Ron's is just a little bit more like you know black and white. I think. I think he's like, just like more like less 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 cultured about it. Like I think yeah. the the reason that I was like more drawn to the quote about bill was because on the surface we might praise something like that but yeah. i wanted us to take a step like a step back and like examine yeah. the undercurrent of it which is exactly the same sentiment that ron is portraying in these like poorly constructed words of like yeah. crassness a hundred percent yeah bills is like sneakier yeah. So what about you? What was your Dementor this chapter? 
Um, so the entire way that like wizards are talking about goblins, like, like I'm not saying the characterization of goblins is like super pleasant in the series anyway. Like the narrator does not like do goblins any service by portraying them in a positive light anyway. So we know that like that narrative voice might also be biased towards wizards, right? Like we, we kind of know that. But the way that wizards themselves talk about goblins in this chapter, whew, yeah, not good. Not including good. including Harry and like of all people, Hermione, who you would think like because of her empathy and compassion and kindness towards house elves that she would extend that same type of thing towards goblins. But that is see, but that's like saying like, oh, that person can't be like racist against hispanics they're not racist I just, against black people I guess, right yeah so, I, like, mean, I just that's i just not... meant like she's yeah she's like i just like she's more inclined to empathy is kind of what i meant no no, no you know i, I mean? understand but i'm what i'm trying to tell you is that like i understand where that sentiment is coming from yeah. but that's also like the same way that i have dealt with a lot of racism and discrimination in my life yeah. when when i call it out people are like Oh, no, no, no. I can't be that because I don't discriminate against, like, for example, yeah. African-Americans. I'm like, yeah, you don't discriminate maybe against African-Americans, but you definitely discriminate against Latinos because they maybe have Spanish for their first language, you know, or, right. you know, some like no, totally other things like that. So it's like 100%. there's more than just like one way of being discriminatory. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. I would agree with that. So, that yeah, sense. no, I, it sucks. It really sucks that we can see, like, those multitudes, I guess. Yeah. Never meet your heroes, remember, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you like us, never meet us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually problematic as shit. I mean. <laughs> I mean, terrible. And, you know, we're terrible people. It is what it is. Um, you know what's not terrible though? Chocolate. Mm, not terrible at all. And you were eating chocolate before we started recording, guys. I was. Celine was eating chocolate and it was very distracting. I mean, it's it Valentine's delicious. Valentine's Day was yesterday as of recording. And every year my parents send me a huge tin of like candy that includes just stuff you can get like anywhere, but also candy specifically from this one local chocolatier shop in my hometown that is very good and they make the best sponge candy and so I have like just an overflow of sweets in my grasp right now and my my dentist probably hates me I've been eating too much sugar all week well (laughs) other than that sweet sweet chocolate what was your chocolate this chapter yes the chapter chocolate was um Honestly, like, I forgot that this happened, but Lupin and Harry just immediately being okay again after their their last encounter, which was honestly very awful. We talked about it in that chapter. Um, when he comes to tell everyone that Teddy is born. And honestly, it's just, it's, it's family, right? Like, family are the ones yeah. that you're able to be completely, like, awful in front of and they are going to forgive you because you guys love each other and they know who, who you are as a 
as at, a, at the core as a human and they know that you're not a bad person and therefore they're willing to forgive. And that's, Unless you're that's, toxic, in which case cut them out. Well, yeah, I mean, this is assuming you're not an awful person. Um, yeah, just, it's just, just, I, I, just, I feel like I just had <laughs> yeah. to put that in there. No, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's a good, uh, asterisk to have, but, um, it's just un- unconditional love. It's cute. They, they're cute. I was happy that they made up and they didn't even have to have like an awkward conversation about it. It's just like, oh, I my, love you. my chocolate was just like, my chocolate was just all baby teddy. I was like, he has baby teddy. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, it was very cute how they all got together and got drunk and just celebrated the new birth and yeah it was cute i too want to get drunk in solidarity one day (laughs) all right i think it's time helene for us to wind down this podcast and talk about the media we've been consuming heck yeah um Tell us all about what you've been consuming, please. Yeah, so I finished Game of Thrones since last time that we just had chatted. So, um, oh my goodness, have, you've been busy. Yeah, um, I have lots of thoughts, and I will just say because I don't want to spoil Game of Thrones for people who on this podcast who haven't listened haven't watched it, but I will just say for anybody who has watched it, you'll understand this. Daenerys was my favorite character and still is my favorite character the entire show. So how do you think I felt at the end of the series? How do you think? Just imagine. And that's all I'll say. Um, All right. right. (laughs) And then I also, uh, once I finished Game of Thrones, I watched this show called The Traitors on Peacock. I got access to a Mm -hmm. premium account where i don't have to watch ads so who thank lord i've been watching a lot of stuff on there since and there's a show it's a new show it's one season so far called the traitors mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the mole if you've seen that on mm-hmm. netflix which is i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the mole i think the the gameplay is slightly different and i couldn't decide which i kind of liked better but the the for the season that they had of the traitors was very enjoyable and it's definitely like a show that i could be on like the mole was a show that i wanted to do like it's a reality show for those who are confused mm-hmm. like the mole is like something i'd want to do but their challenges are so physically demanding that i was like i'm not fucking hiking up a mountain carrying 300 pounds of ice ice blocks like that's not happening that i could never do that um but like the traders like the <laughs> The challenges and stuff are all super like not physical, so I'm like, I could do that. I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna be on that show. Um, there are um, a ton of Bravo celebrities on that yes. show, actually. Yeah, it's one of those reality shows that they use like people who are like known from past reality show experiences, but they also mix them with like normal human beings. Yeah. Yeah, um, I know, I know, but like I was like, this is <laughs> this is my uh, my claim to knowledge of what this is because yes, I yes. know that there's some Bravo lebs in there. Yeah, I think there's a Real Housewife of like New Hampshire or something. I don't know. Um, okay, first off, not a real franchise. I didn't. I just guessed one. I don't know. No, no. First off, not a real franchise. We'll have <laughs> to like, discuss her that. Wait, who's Brandy then? Brandy was a real housewife. I don't know which. Yeah, which Brandy Glanville was. was a real housewife of Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, Jesus something. Christ. 
Hey, it was two words, and the last one started with an H. Oh my right? god. Different there coasts. Sh- there like, should be completely there, different coasts. There should be a Real Housewives of New Hampshire. I would watch that. All right. Get Andy <laughs> in a camera, I guess. Um, <laughs> talk to but also, But also um, Ari from The Bachelor is is on mm-hmm. this one and i hadn't i didn't see a season i actually started his, the season after his um which was becca's who was obviously the one that like got her heart broken by him um and all i'd heard was awful things about him in the bachelor franchise but i actually kind of liked him in this show so maybe know. it's good for his rehab of the you know his image yeah i mean he was kind of a decent dude in the show so i don't know man it was a good show though i i highly recommend it all right. Well, I have not been watching uh, The Traitor yet. Um, I have been watching Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, and Organized Crime because, I mean, I'm not caught up on the newest um, SVU. I need to watch Girl, that. Girl, you got to. It's so know, good. Because, you know, you watch, like, now that you have Peacock, you watch, like, one episode of SVU, then you watch Organized Crime, then you watch another episode of SVU and another of Organized Crime, because, like, those storylines kind of intertwine. Yeah, I never really it's got into perfection. Organized Crime. I know that you really like that one, but I never really got into it. I don't know. We'll it has see. Christopher Maloney. What's not to like? He was never my favorite character on Law & Order. And, like, I really only liked him when he was with, like, you know, in scenes with um, Mariska Hargitay. So, like, I don't know. If they're not in the same show together. He has a beautiful ass. And she... He does. Is sometimes... And he sometimes... She sometimes is in those scenes. And he sometimes, you know, crosses over to SVU. It's great. (laughs) He does have a beautiful butt. That's for sure. Oh, God. It's beautiful. He's a beautiful man. He has charisma. He's a talent. That's what we call it. He's got that <laughs> zest. <laughs> that's zest. Anyway, <laughs> that's it for today's episode. On that note, um, please join us next week. Well, let me start over. Please join us next time to talk about chapter 26 of Deathly Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, titled Gringotts. Oh, yeah, that's a short, short chapter name. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please take a second to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening to us right now. It helps new listeners find our podcast, and it makes us feel good about ourselves. Just being and honest. And the world. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, politics managed. Support this show by going to patreon.com slash Occupolitics. Our patrons keep this show going. You can find us online at Occupolitics.com and we are at Occupolitics on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can email us your thoughts at info at Occupolitics.com. Leave us a voicemail at 915-996-1699. And you might just hear yourself on the podcast. Adriana Wilson is the founder and creative director of the podcast. Helene Karp is the producer and social media manager. Allison Pullman is the audio wizard and editor who makes us sound so good. Cover art and physical rewards are designed by Adriana Wilson. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are 
expressly their own and not representative of their employers or associates. Acupolitics is part of the MuggleNet family of podcasts.